Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of John, the 15th chapter. We continue our consideration of the great gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 today of John chapter 15. This is a continuation of what is commonly called the upper room discourse. There is a shift in the way in which it's presented. In the 14th chapter, there was dialogue between Jesus and some of his apostles. In this chapter, it's a monologue, and Jesus is not to be interrupted. And we need to keep that in mind, too. As he moved toward the end of his conversation with them, he was becoming more and more intense, undoubtedly, and they were receiving it as such. John 15:1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The most recent report on homelessness in the United States indicated mid-July that approximately 600,000 people are homeless. Now, it's possible to have a house that's not a home. Isn't that true? A house does not make a home. A home is a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of comfort. A house, just because it's sizable or well-decorated, in no way constitutes a home. It's what is characteristic of those who indwell that home. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, there's a recurring emphasis by Jesus. He says more than one time in these few verses, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me which raises a very important question. Anytime Jesus says something once, it's incumbent upon us to try to find the answer as to why he uses that term or that teaching. But when he reiterates it as he does here, we need to perk up. Let me give you an interpretation of this word abide. It means to make a home with or in. When Jesus says, abide in me, what he's really saying is, make your home in me. Now, how do we get that from this passage of Scripture? 
It's there if you understood the language and if I understood the language in which it was first spoken and read, we would catch that. Intuitively, we would know that because we would have heard it used in such a way. But one thing that helps us when we study a particular passage of Scripture is to understand the way that words in that passage have been used previously in that book of the Bible. In the first chapter of John, and if you want to look there with me, you're welcome to, the 38th verse, we eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus was having with some men who were disciples of John the Baptist. Perhaps you didn't know that John the Baptist had disciples, but certainly he did. In verse 37 is really where we should begin. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. The one whom they heard speak was John the Baptist. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? The word translated are staying is the word abiding. Where are you abiding? And of course, they were talking about his domicile. What did he call home? The scripture goes on to say, He said to them, Come and you will see. They came therefore and saw where he was staying, the same word again, and they stayed, used the third time in this short passage, with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. What we learn here, and are going to begin to see, is there's certain conditions that are need to be met in order for our home to be in Christ. The first of which is in this passage of Scripture. It comes when we have conversation with Jesus Christ in response to having heard about Jesus. More specifically, John the Baptist had said twice in the hearing, at least twice, that we have. We know it's recorded twice, but it could have happened more frequently than that. We know that these men, these two unnamed disciples of John the Baptist, they had heard the declaration when John the Baptist saw Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The gospel was preached to them. And they wanted to get some time with Jesus to spend time with Him so that they could get to know Him and ask questions of Him. I'm sure they asked questions. My educated guess is that they listened a lot more than they talked. And that's a good way that we should approach our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel was preached to them, and then they prayed to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They prayed, and you say, where is the word pray in chapter 1, verses 37 and following? It's not there. But they conversed with him, didn't they? They inquired of him. Do you understand that's what prayer is without being in any way flippant about praying? We're not to come in high-fiving God and Jesus when we come pray to them. But they want an intimate relationship with you and me. It all begins with the preaching of the gospel. Can you remember when you heard the gospel? And you may not have responded full-heartedly immediately, but 
after having heard it for a while, did you find yourself being drawn more and more to the person of Christ and then to the work of Christ? And then you began to follow Christ? Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 1 when they said, where are you staying? What did He say? He didn't give them an address, did He? What did He say? Come and see. So they followed Him to where He was staying and they had that kind of conversation. One of the ways that we are meeting the conditions for making Christ our home is by hearing the gospel and then praying to Him and inquiring of Him. The fourth chapter of John also gives us a similar usage of this word, which is translated abide in the modern translations of Scripture. The background of the fourth chapter, you may recall, is that Jesus and His disciples find themselves in the area of Samaria, and they're at a well outside a village in Samaria or a city, and the, His disciples have gone into the city to get food for them and for Him. And all of a sudden a woman comes who was coming at midday, which was a very unusual time for a female to draw water. And there was a reason for that. She was a woman who was scorned by the other women in town because of her past history with men in that town. And she came to know Jesus, didn't she? Remember the dialogue she had with Jesus? It's fabulous, isn't it? How she was there and Jesus struck up a conversation and in a matter of moments, He revealed to her that He was the one who could give her water that would never result in thirst after having drunk it. And she came to know the Lord. And what did she do? She heard the Lord. She talked to the Lord. She, in effect, was praying to Him. And then she went into town and she spread the news. Now, she was a woman of ill repute in the town, but she was a woman of repute. A lot of people knew her and they could tell something had happened and they heard her story and they go out to talk to Jesus. Well, let's look at verses 39 and following of John 4. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She preached right off the bat, didn't she? Coming to Christ, he told them all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with him. Would you venture a guess as what the word is to stay with them? It's the same word. It's a very simple word, two-syllable word. In the original language, minnow is the word. And they said, would you come and stay with us? And he stayed there two days. Jesus obliged, didn't he? Do you know, if you want to have some time with Jesus Christ, you have to come to him and say, may I have time with you? And what I've discovered over the course of my life, if I come to the Lord in humility and with a heart that is open to receive what He has to say about me in terms of things I need to get right in order that I can be heard by Him, then He's more than willing. He never leaves. This is amazing. I quit praying a long time before He would necessarily leave. 
It's wonderful to think about the fact that our Lord wants that kind of relationship with us. So one of the conditions for making Jesus our home is that we are to respond to him in prayer based on the gospel of Jesus Christ as it's become real in our lives and its implications that Christ died for sinners, that he was buried, he was raised again on the third day. And if we believe what the scripture says and we embrace Jesus and confess and repent of our sin, then we have that kind of relationship with him. There's another way this word is used in the book of John, in the sixth chapter of John. It's the chapter where Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Look at verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. The idea here is that if we come to the Lord and we enjoy the relationship which we have with Him, with other believers, like today. We come to a place like this, we should never take it for granted. Communion is a symbol of what Christ has done for us, but it's also a unifying, it's not a ritual, it's a worship act for us so that we can realize that we belong not to ourselves. We belong to Christ, first and foremost. We belong to God the Father, but we belong to each other. We're part of the body of Christ. So having communion with Christ, having time with Him, and that can happen publicly, like it's happening this morning, hopefully, but it can happen privately, too, as we come before the Lord. And we pray to Him. And we listen to Him speak to us in the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. And we have that kind of communion. So two conditions that we need to consider. Are we people who pray to the Lord for fellowship and communion? After knowing who we are in Christ and more importantly knowing who He is. Now go to chapter 8. This is the last place we will look in the Gospel of John. I hope this is helping you to understand how the idea of making your home with Him is a valid idea when it comes to this term, which is translated abide in the 15th chapter, according to the New American Standard Bible at least. Look at chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if you abide in My word then you are truly disciples of mine. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you feel comfortable in the Word of God? Do you find great joy in reading the Scripture and having God's Spirit speak to you and give you direction in your life? Isn't it nice, nice as to, I guess you'd say, poor word, it's awesome, isn't it? It's beyond nice that we have that access to the Word of the Lord. And the result of that is we make our home with the Lord. Now let me pause here for one moment and ask a question which 
has an obvious answer, I think, to most of us at least. Do we come and go in relationship to the Lord? I mean, practically speaking, yeah, we do. We kind of make a move toward the Lord, spend time with Him, and then we back off sometimes, don't we? But is it so designed for us who know Jesus Christ that we can have an ongoing relationship with Him throughout the day? Well, absolutely. One evidence that, of that is that the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And one of the ways that ensures that, the thing that ensures it really, is that we come to Christ who is the one who is our mediator and we pray to and through Him. So this is the normal Christian life. So we've looked now at the conditions for making Christ our home. Three conditions. Being in conversation with Christ in response to having heard about Him through Scripture and through other means that come our way. And then secondly, by being in communion with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a meeting like this. And then thirdly, by hearing the Word of the Lord. That encompasses virtually everything. Now let's look at the outcome. What is the outcome or outcomes as a result? The consequences of our abiding in Christ. Well, let's go back to the text in 15. And let's begin with verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. We read from Psalm 80, and we saw how the psalmist, I believe Asaph, is the one who is given the credit for having written that down under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But basically, he was lamenting. He was crying out to the Lord, Lord, you've, you've turned your back on us. You have disciplined us. You haven't cared for us like we need to be cared for. And he's pleading. And in that, he talks about how we, the we would be referring to the people of God, Israel. We need you to come and visit us in a new way. What we see there is that the vine was false at that time. It was Israel. And things had not changed a long time after that psalm was written. The conditions were just the same. And the result, of course, was that the people were in a bad, bad way. So we look also, we could take time to look at Jeremiah 2, and we could go to... Isaiah 27, go to Hosea chapter 10. We don't have time to look at all those. Do your own research, but what you'll discover is that the vine in this day and time was associated in the scriptures of what we call the Old Testament with Israel. During the intertestamental period, and you probably know that there was a 400-year gap. That's a long time, isn't it? Before Malachi had a companion that was newer in the canon than he, and it went all the way four centuries before John the Baptist came on the scene. That's a long time. And there was occupation after occupation by foreign Gentile nations of Israel. 
But there was a rebellion that raised up under the leadership of a group of family members known as the Maccabees. And they took over. They ousted the Gentile rulers and were very successful in ruling for some time. And their length of control lasted long enough for them to have coins minted. And the symbol of the new Israel, if you, were, if you will, on the coin was, guess what? A vine. In Jesus' day, in Herod's temple, and these men understood this full well, they'd seen it, on the holy place, the entrance to the temple proper, there was a beautiful inlaid gold sculpture of a grapevine. And it was considered a great honor if one of the Jewish patrons of the temple was given the opportunity to buy the gold necessary to repair one of the elements of leaf or a piece of the fruit to pay for that. It was a great, great privilege. So suffice it to say that Jesus calls himself the true vine for good reason, because he is the one who will gather the people of Israel to himself, along with, by the way, believers outside the Jewish religion. Paul talks at length about this in the second chapter of Ephesians, how Jesus Christ made the two one, breaking down the wall of division. And what that simply means is Jesus made it possible for us who aren't Jewish to know the Lord just as well as those who are descendants of Abraham. So he goes on to say in verse 1, And my father is the vine dresser. And that speaks for itself. The father was the gardener, if you will, of the vineyard. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may be, bear more fruit. I'll come back to that a little later, as I will the third verse. It says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And then he comes to verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Notice the reciprocal relationship between us and Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So the Lord is now talking about the evidence. What is the evidence? Fruit. It's somewhat mysterious to us in a sense because it really doesn't talk in detail about what that stands for. What fruit is Jesus talking about here? Well, we know from other parts of the New Testament what kinds of fruit would be in mind. The first one, it's a general one. I would just simply describe it as practical holiness of life. In other words, we saw last week that holiness is the condition of having been set apart by God to accomplish His work. And we who know Christ, we were set apart for that when we came to know Him. And we, as we grow and are useful to Him, abiding in Him, we will be people who will bear fruit. There's an inevitability of our being fruit bearers at some point 
in our lives if we know the Lord. And the point here is that it results in a quality of life that is without explanation apart from a connection to the Lord Jesus Christ evidenced in a life like His. The fruit of the Spirit. We looked at that last week. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, the Bible says. All those things really, and put those qualities together, if you think about it and you study those qualities carefully, you'll see that they're a composite of Jesus. They're facets of Jesus. Facets of the Holy Spirit, for sure. But facets of Jesus also. Because we know the Scripture says in John that He received the Spirit without measure. He'd always been in tandem with the Spirit. But in His humanity, the Spirit of God came and indwelled Him and demonstrated for us, gave us a high understanding of who Jesus is. Those are to be things that are like Christ that will be part of our lives if we are people who are walking in dependence upon the Lord, abiding in Christ, living with Him, making Him our place of dwelling. Some of the ways that this word fruit is used to verify this, and we won't look at them in detail, but I invite you have to do, for instance, with the sharing of our possessions with other believers who are not as well off or have met difficult circumstances, and we have the means to meet them, and the Spirit of the Lord moves us to meet them. And the way He does is through the Bible, frankly. Isn't it amazing how much we receive from the Spirit of God through the Word of God if we'll just read it? And it's incredibly important. We've seen that already. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's wonderful. In the book of 1 John, there's a lot said about abiding in the book of 1 John. It's only a five chapter letter and without accident, as he comes to the end of 1 John, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. And the book of 1 John really is underscoring how we know we have eternal life. And one of the ways that is indicated, for instance, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth knoweth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth God, not God, for God is love. Do you know what he was talking about in that context? He was talking about how if I see a brother in Christ in need financially, materially, and I have the resources to share. And it may not be I've got a lot of money in the bank, but I've got something I don't really need or I can lend to him or just give it out to him. And then it will help him or her, if it's a sister in Christ or a couple, it will help them in their lives. So practical holiness of life is that, related to the kind of life that comes forward when a person is full of the Spirit and his fruit, but also, practically speaking, in helping people who are in need financially. As one example, You'll find your own as you do your own studying. Here's another 
evidence of this fruit. It's what we do when we have trouble. And I'm going to refer to one verse in the book of Hebrews 13, verse 15. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Him, speaking of through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips which confess His name. And the point being is, when we know Jesus Christ, we know Him not simply as a Savior, and we know Him in intimacy because He is our home, we get to know nuances of His personality, and we're at home with Him. We enjoy the security of knowing Him. We enjoy the comfort. Isn't it wonderful to know that the promises of God given by Jesus as much as they applied to His time, also apply to us. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. The antecedents of things in that verse, Matthew 6.33, are the necessities of life. We won't get rich, but we'll have what we need to sustain life. And be glad to have it. And not be grousing because someone's got more than we do. Because the Lord promises that. So through Him, let us continually, wow, that's a, that's, that's a little much, Jesus, continually, through you continually, offer a sacrifice, and now we're getting down to an understanding, the difficulty of this, it's a sacrifice of praise. When things are going poorly for me, I want to let you know my initial response is not praise the Lord. It's just not. Sometimes I do that, but I'm sorry to say, I, pray for me about that, okay? I need that a whole lot. But that is what God says. And this is one of the evidences of a person who abides in Christ. That person lives with Christ. That person knows Christ and understands that He is a sovereign King. And He and the Father have collaborated so that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So nothing can occur to me, nothing has occurred to me thus far that would violate that truth. And God uses those things to give a witness through us without our even knowing, praising God in all things because of His sovereignty. And here's probably the main thing Jesus was getting at in this passage of Scripture when He cons uses the concept of fruit. It would be people. How God uses us to reach people. The Bible says in Proverbs 11:30, He who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. God wants to use you and me. And you might say, well, I'm not good with that sort of thing. Well, Jesus is pretty good at it, right? And who are you making your home with when you're abiding in Him? In Him. Is He with you wherever you go? Absolutely. And so we need to be people who quit using lame excuses, not because we're trying to hide behind them. I'm not talking about that kind of lame. It's because we just don't believe what the Lord says. And we can take these principles that we've seen already 
and we can be in that kind of relationship with the Lord. Always ready to give an answer to those who ask us for the hope that is within us. The word answer is apologia, the word from which the modern word apologetics is derived. And we're, none of us is really that good in apologetics. We've got a young man in our church who's really good at it, and some of you like it too. But quite frankly, I'm not drawn to that. I'm more interested in the, what the Bible says. And I'm not saying that Caleb is not. I'm not saying that. He loves the Word of God. But we need to know that all we have to do is be in sync with the Lord, trusting Him, abiding in Him, making our home with Him, and the result is that He will use us. It'll surprise you how often He will use you. If you are willing, that's the good question, to believe what He says, He is willing to use us to glorify Himself. Now, let's go and look at verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Or apart from you, me rather, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. How important on the agricultural scene is a vine's sustenance connected to the branch. Not the vine for the vine's sake, but for the branch. As long as the branch is connected, what's going to happen? All things being equal, enough rain, enough sunshine, no severe windstorm or anything, there's going to be fruit born, right? And does the branch strain to bear fruit? I've never seen a branch strain. I've seen some dried up on trees, by the way. Have you? For the first time, I've lived in the house in which I live now for 15 years. For the first summer, there is a branch on my favorite tree that has dead leaves on it. First time. And so I'm praying. I pray for my tree, okay? <laughs> I'm praying that that tree is not going to get sick and die. It's showing some sickness. It's not getting the nutrients and the water it needs. But with us as people who are in Christ, we can trust the Lord and He will give us everything we need for life. He gives us the spiritual food we need. He gives us the spiritual water we need. It's just our responsibility to stay in touch with Him and to regularly drink of Him because He has the water of life. He who abides in me and I in Him, He bears how much fruit? Much fruit. And in this teaching of Jesus, He started off with the concept of fruit, and now He's gone to much fruit, and eventually He gets to the concept of more, he does more fruit and then much fruit. Those three things is, are, gives us the order. Those three. Fruit, much more fruit, and then much fruit. So this whole idea of His abiding in us is very important for us. Apart from me, He says, you can do what? Nothing. Now, there are some people who would say, 
that that means a certain subset of things that we can do, and there are those that would be considered spiritual. The Bible, I think, would indicate that everything I do as a child of God is something that I can do in dependence on the Lord. Everything. And I, I believe what happens, if we become abiding Christians like this, making Christ our home, what's going to happen is there's going to be, in a sense, in our own lives, at least periodically, a restoration of life was in, as it was intended by God in the Garden of Eden. Because Adam and Eve, to begin with, had that kind of connection with God until they sinned. So when you and I abide in Christ and He produces fruit through us, it's a picture of heaven a little bit, at least. A restoration has occurred in our lives and we become tools in His hand to change the atmosphere where we are and change the situation where we are. Martin Luther was rather wry in the way he would say things, and a brilliant man, to say the least, and he would speak to those whom he was pastoring, and occasionally he would say, say to them, God milks the cows through you. Well, that doesn't seem too spiritual, does it? Milking a cow? Well, in that day, it was very necessary to life, wasn't it? And somebody's milking cows for us, and we're just paying for it at Walmart. We go and pick up a gallon of milk, aren't we? The good news is that the Lord wants to use you in the things that seem so insignificant, maybe unspiritual, to do that kind of life. God is blessed by that. He's honored by that. The way we do things that we don't consider necessarily are in the realm of the spiritual because they seem so mundane. Don't ever neglect those things and do them as the Lord would have you. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, how are you to do it? For the glory of God. I think that covers everything, doesn't it? I think that's what the Scripture says. I, I hope that's what it means. But we look at this passage of Scripture, apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of you know the name Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia was quite the figure in the early 20th century. And once he hung up his camel's saddle and retired, he went back to his homeland of Britain. And he invited some of the leaders of the Bedouin tribes to join him. I don't know how many. My source doesn't describe how many. And he took them and he housed them in one of the finer hotels in London, showed them the city, introduced them to dignitaries. And the thing that fascinated in those Bedouin chiefs more than anything else were the faucets. Turn the water on, the faucet on and the water came out. I mean, they were just amazed. So their journey end there, ended there, and they go home. And after they checked out that day and were on their way, as their rooms were being cleaned, 
what those who cleaned them discovered was there were no faucets anymore. They took them with them. They liked having that kind of clean, cool water. The problem was when they got back to Arabia or wherever they were from, what was going to happen? There was no running water. And what we need to understand is that we have to stay connected to Jesus if we have that life-giving water. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him or her keep on coming to me and keep on drinking. And out of that person's innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's what's ours in Christ. It has no respect for status in a country, a community, in a church. It has no respect. This water is available for anyone who will come and drink of Christ and trust Him to give them what they need in their lives. It's beautiful to think about what God has done for us. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Johnny Erickson Tata, many of you know the name. Shortly after she graduated high school, she sustained a broken neck that made her quadriplegic in a diving accident. And she was so, so much in pain. If you read her story, it's just hard to read it. It's so excruciating, her pain was. And she was just a girl, you know? And she had everything to look forward to, but now she had nothing to look forward to. One of her close friends, in fact, her closest friend, a girl named Cindy, would sit with her and she'd have to listen to her with the pain and there was no relief for the pain, searing pain, phantom pain. And one night, Cindy said to her, she said, to Johnny, Johnny rather, Johnny, Jesus understands what you're going through. And then she said, how does he understand? Well, he was crucified on the cross for us and he couldn't go anywhere when he got on the cross. His back was a piece of raw meat, basically. He couldn't be recognized, probably, because of the distortion, the puffiness of his face from having been struck by his captors and having a thorn of crowns jabbed down in his head. And Jesus understands that for you. And he's with you. And he will give you the power. Now that took a lot of courage on that dear friend's count to do that because she was able to walk around and use her hands. She wasn't dependent on anybody for much. But it was a life-changing moment for Johnny Erickson at the time, now Tata. And her life has been magnificently lived. Probably never would have come close to what it came, has come to in this life were it not for that accident. I'm not saying something that we would revel in that she got hurt like that. But we know that God uses people who are willing to yield their lives to Christ. And remember, we're like what? A branch in a vine. And we are making our home with Jesus, the true vine. 
And God the Father is the vine dresser. And one of the things He does as vine dresser, look at verse 2, pick up on the middle part, says, every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Now, have any of you ever witnessed the pruning of a vineyard? I've never seen it. I've read descriptions of it. And what I've learned is, it looks like the vine keeper is just destroying the plants, just cutting them back just as far as the vine dresser can cut. And there's a reason for it. What's the reason? The growth from the previous year, if left to grow a second year, will rob the vine of the energy it needs, the nutrients it needs to produce a crop that year. Maybe a small crop, but give it another year without pruning, and then there's virtually no promise of any fruit being born. What this tells us is when God uses us, and I remember distinctly when this happened to me for the first time. I was probably about 30 years old. I was pastoring a church here in El Paso. And we had been through a season, and I personally had been through a season of fruit bearing that I had never witnessed before. Coming, I had to pinch myself sometimes when I would see virtually every person I visited and shared the gospel with made a genuine commitment to Christ, prayed to receive Christ, were baptized as believers in Christ. And then all of a sudden, it was just like that. It was like the water was cut off. And from that, there came a real drought in my life, spiritually, as far as visible fruit being born. And I asked the Lord, Lord, what is it? What sin is there in my life that's keeping me from being a fruit bearer like you have used me before? I got no answer. I got no answer. I went to the Word. I, I, I was a man of the Word then, but to begin with, but I, I was more careful to hear from Him to see if the Holy Spirit would pinpoint sin that was unresolved in my life. And then finally, I came to this passage. And I got it. He was pruning me. And He was pruning me so that I could bear more fruit. Listen carefully. When God begins to work in your life, and He will, if you'll abide in Christ, He will bear fruit through you. But when He does, be ready for a time of pruning. Because when we know God, and I knew God was doing it before, but frankly, I had become more than a little bit self-reliant. I thought, this is, this is no big deal. You know, this church is growing faster than any other church on the east side of El Paso at that time. This is a piece of cake, and I'm loving it. And all of a sudden, boom. I wasn't loving it anymore. But the Lord taught me an invaluable lesson then, and He continues to teach me. I wish it was just one time you had to learn it. It tells you what kind of man I am. <laughs> but the Lord wants us not to depend on anything in our past. Not to look back on the things God did. I mean, it's okay to glorify Him with those, but if He does things of significance, the tendency is for us to gradually begin to think we had quite a bit to do with it. 
But I can do nothing apart from whom? Jesus Christ. And so we have to be aware of that and trust God to care for us and use us and help us through dry spells. I love what the psalmist says in 119. Listen carefully. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Then he goes on to say, it was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. This guy's a sadomasochist, isn't he? And then he says this thing in that same passage of Scripture. 67, 71, and then 75 of 119, he says this, In faithfulness, you, Lord, afflicted me. Whoa! The Lord loves me. Yes, He does. Does He afflict those whom He loves? Yes, He does. He prunes us so that we do not become people who are unuseful to Him. There's a price to be paid for you and me if we're going to be used by the Lord. And it's not in a role like I occupy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all of you who know Christ. And the price is self-denial. Being willing to not get angry at God when things don't go well and not to bail out. It's to stay with Him, trusting Him, walking in Him, abiding in Him, making Him our home. We need to make a beeline to the Lord all the time. And He is our companion. We know that as we trust Him for such things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's one part I haven't dealt with, and let's do it in the remaining few minutes we have. Look at verse 2 again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. There's a difference between taking away. It's a word. I'm not going to say the word in the original language, but it's a word that is used as part of a compound word later in this verse when he talks about pruning. And the word pruning is a compound word using the word take away. And what he's talking about, if a branch doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. And then in verse 6, look what he says here. In verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. That's serious language, isn't it? So is he saying that if we know Jesus, we can lose our salvation? Is that what he's saying? Not possible. Because in the book of John already, there's been so much confirmation that once we come to know Christ, we're His forever. John 13, John 10, John 6. Just read your Bible. Read the Gospel of John. So we do know that among the twelve, there was one who was a false follower, wasn't he? And John talks about later in answer to questions that those to whom he wrote 1 John were asking about antichrists. And he said, they were saying, many antichrists have gone out from us. And they were asking, why? Why? Why did they leave? And this is what he says, if they had been of us, they would not have left us. They were false 
teachers, false prophets, false believers. In a body of believers like this, I don't have anyone in mind. I would not do that because Jesus is very clear. Let me sort all that out when I send the angels to gather up things at the end of time. I'm not going to go there. But what I do know is that Judas, remember when the apostles were debating, when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, do you remember what they were all doing? What were they doing? They were looking at each other. Is it I? Is it I? They weren't pointing the finger at Judas. They really liked Judas. They respected him. I don't know if they liked him. They respected him. He carried the money bag, you know. But here's, here's the idea. There are people who are associated with the church. They look like branches, but they're not. They have the trappings of being a branch, but they're really not. And Jesus would say to us, all of us, examine yourself to see if you're in the Lord. He says that twice in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Examine yourself. Periodically examine. And it's not like we worry about it. I don't worry about not going to heaven because I know what Christ has done for me. I have done nothing to warrant it. I don't deserve it. But what I do know is Christ has paid the price for me fully. And I'm grateful for that. I don't want to abuse that in any way. But we always need to ask ourselves, are we showing forth the evidence? What kind of evidence? The proof of a godly life that shows itself in practical ways. We've seen that. The fruit of the Spirit, the way we handle relationships, really important. And of course, we want to be on the lookout for people that Christ brings into our lives to share the gospel with and share the good news. You know, the power of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not how slick your presentation is. It's not how glib you are with words. You may stammer and stutter and feel like you could not put three sentences together without making a grammatical error don't worry about it because God uses the foolish things of the wise to confound. Uh, foolish, thing, foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's wonderful. And when the apostles came before a tribunal, the people who were deciding on their future said, these are just ordinary men, uneducated men. So the good news for us is, as we finish today, is that if we know Jesus, he, he gave us eternal life so that we could be conduits of that life, just like a branch is a conduit of grape life coming through the vine and fruit will be born. Don't you want to be that kind of follower of Christ? It's not beyond your capacity if you yield yourself to Jesus as your Lord. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for pruning us when we bear fruit. Thank you for warning us that we should not be men and women who are sassy about our walk with you and think we're better than other people. Forgive us, Lord. Make us 
people who are like Christ, who was the epitome of humility and gentleness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.